It's time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zanashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Back with another episode of Brew Strong. And uh, today, my guest is my dear friend, Mitch Steele from New Realm Brewing out in uh, Atlanta and Virginia Beach. Uh, how's it going, Mitch? Good. How are you, Jamil? <laughs> Fine. Long time, no, no, uh, <laughs> no speak, right? I mean, it's yeah, been... Yeah, it seems like it's been forever. Yeah, it's been like at least a month or... <laughs> Uh, you know, or possibly 30 <laughs> seconds. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, we're doing back-to-back shows. Uh, you're kind enough to give me uh, two hours of your time, and God knows it may bleed into two hours and 15 minutes or something like that. I don't know. We'll, we'll <laughs> it's okay. See. It'll, it'll, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. You're you're a very reasonable and and uh, and kind friend. Ah, speaking of reasonable and kind friends, my good friend, uh, John Blickman, uh, BlickmanEngineering.com. He's paying for the show, so you don't have to. And I think that that is a very kind and reasonable thing to do. He's very into supporting the, the homebrew community, the brewing community in general, and that's why he pays for the show. That's why he also comes up with such uh, cool, uh, amazing gadgets and brew systems you know he's making stuff he started out making stuff for uh you know like the beer gun for filling and you know his uh, tower of power and so many other cool inventions of his and now he's he's uh transitioned into also doing uh small scale um commercial brewing equipment so if you want to brew you know five barrels ten barrels if you want to open your your brewery uh, check out Blickman Engineering for that as well. Uh, BlickmanEngineering.com. And if you have time, do me a favor, send John at Blickman Engineering uh, an email uh, telling me you appreciate that he pays for the show. Feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com. And uh, that will go straight to him. And he does appreciate it. That's why he's paid for the show for 12 years, 13 years. <laughs> It's a long time to, to be sponsoring a show. It's very kind of them. All right. Uh, last show, we were talking about um, hops when we, when we ended. And uh, I told my weird collaboration story with Fuller's, which was fun. <laughs> yeah, great story. And uh, All right. Uh, let's see. We were talking about, uh, now I've completely lost what we're talking about. We were talking about hops. And one of the things I want to ask, have you changed the amount of hops that you use now? Yeah. Um, as compared to the past, I mean, is it, is it really that there's so many new breweries that's causing hop shortages or is it that if there's so many new breweries and people are using just insane amounts of hops. Are you using an insane amount of hops compared to 10 years ago? Um, no, but we're using more. We're not in, I, I wouldn't rank us in the insane category uh, because right. otherwise I would probably get fired for making beer that loses money. Every drop <laughs> we sell. Um, no, but you know, seriously, I, I think, um, you know, over the time that I've been brewing hoppy beers after I left Anheuser-Busch, uh, dry hopping rates have increased across the board. 
mm-hmm. pretty substantially, you know, in, in 15, um, let's see, how long have I been? Yeah, it's been about 15 years. Um, and I remember, you know, kind of in my last few years at Stone, I was talking with a lot of the newer brewers in Southern California and, and you know, people like uh, Julian Schrago and, and, and some of the other really good hoppy beer brewers. And they're, they're like, yeah, I don't dry hop with anything less than two pounds per barrel. And I'm such a brewing dinosaur. I remember when a quarter pound per barrel seemed like a lot of dry hops, you know. Um, but, you know, our beers, our IPAs are all at at least two pounds per barrel in the dry hop. And, you know, it's interesting to, to look at the Brewers Association statistics, you know, that they get feedback from, from member breweries across the country. And the, the hop usage per barrel has been going up steadily for years. And I believe right now the average uh, from the feedback they get is about 1.8 pounds per barrel. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a and lot. That includes considered. all styles. Yeah, all styles. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it could be Berliner Weisses or mm-hmm. you know light loggers or whatever, and 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 so it's just a testament to how people are are using a lot more hops, and you know, certainly uh, over the years, I've increased the whirlpool dry hopping uh, that I've done and and reduced the bittering hopping. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been a real significant change. I. You know, uh, I ended up buying when we started, you know, thinking I was going to brew beers like I brewed at Stone and buying a whole bunch of Warrior hops and contracting them. And I'm sitting on, you know, a lot right now just because the beers we're brewing are not heavily bitter hopped as, mm-hmm. as I anticipated. So, yeah. So if anybody needs any Warrior hops, hit me up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we, uh, we probably would have been a customer for that, but we, we just recently uh, – Switch to uh, Fato. I call oh, it the, the new one, right? Yeah, yeah. It's I like, haven't uh, used that. Right. It's like, well, I'll tell you how it works out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. It was something like uh, 18, 19 percent alpha acid. It's yeah. supposed to be real clean. Uh, you know, good grower, and so uh, we'll we'll find out. But yeah, yeah. I, otherwise we would have used a bunch of warrior. <laughs> like, you know, warrior, Magnum, Horizon. Yeah. They're like, yeah, they're not they're not making any of those anymore. Yeah. You know, um, you know, like I've got about a five year supply of warrior and and a year <laughs> supply of magnum I need to work through. <laughs> they're saying uh, horizon, they're not growing it anymore. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. Right, because that was like the new one everyone was switching to. Yeah. So now it's the the Fato or Potato or whatever. Uh, we'll see see what happens with that. Well, and you know, speaking about hop amounts, um, I read another article somewhere about uh, kind of like the the limit to uh, hops, and you know, kind of the the, the point of you know, diminishing returns. Um, and it was not as high as I would have thought it was. Do you do you see anything like that about uh, diminishing returns? I should have I should have made some notes on this, but I didn't think we'd talk about it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you know once you get past a, a you know if you're talking bittering hops, there's obviously a limit as to how much um, right. how many parts per million um, or bitterness uh, you know you can get in a wort. I mean, there's a solubility mm-hmm. equation there. You know, so really. You know, it depends on on your original gravity. As your original gravity goes up, you can get more to solubilize in the boil. But you know, there is a limit. It's probably around 120 IBUs in wort, and then, you know, of course, you're going to drop 30, 35 percent of that during fermentation as the pH drops. But um, 
you know, with dry hopping, definitely, you know, you, you, you get a point where you, you know, you're just not really extracting um, oils. You might be extracting vegetative character, you know, from the mm-hmm. leaves, but. Um, and they talk about the, the oils rebinding with the, uh, the hot matter. Yeah. If you have too much. Yeah. And, and I know, you know, I know a lot of the oils bind with yeast. And so that's, mm-hmm. that's something to keep in mind too. But yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I tend to not um, want to have a beer that's got what, you know, people are calling the hop burn, which to I, me is over, overusing dry hops. It's just, yeah. it's just hard to drink. I, I can't drink those. It yeah. really just, yeah, that's, that's a painful experience that I, I skip. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't like it either. Yeah. When, uh, so, uh, Jay was asking, uh, do you have any thoughts on Mandarina Bavaria? Uh, yeah, yeah. I've used a lot of Mandarina Bavaria over, over the years when we reformulated stone pale ale, uh, you know, that was, you know, kind of an iconic beer for stone and, and to reformulate it, I was really pushing back on even doing it. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's like, this is a great beer. Why would we fuck with it? Right. Sorry. Uh, but, uh, um, and Steve Wagner actually pulled me aside and he said, you got to lose the emotional attachment. I, and he goes, this was my beer and I don't care. We got to do something because the sales are dropping uh-huh. like a rock. I said, all right, okay, point taken. And, and so we played around with a whole bunch of different, different variations on Stone Pale Ale and nothing really hit. And we did a beer, and, and most of this was driven by Steve Gonzalez, who worked for me at the time, and he was kind of in charge of pilot brewing and barrel aging at Stone when I was there. <clears throat> and he wanted to brew a beer with Mandarina Bavaria, and he brewed this kind of German-flavored pale ale. Mm. And um, it had a lot of mandarin Bavaria in it. And it was it was a great beer. It was called Stone Pale Ale Point One or Point Two or something like that. And it you know it didn't do anything sales wise just because people don't buy pale ale anymore. But mm-hmm. uh, it was a wonderful beer. And uh, I've played around with Mandarina Bavaria uh, at New Realm a little bit. I've I've got a fair amount of them that I'm trying to find a home for. But um, you know, it's a it's a nice kind of blend of of German noble and and citrus, and mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a pleasant hop. It's I don't know, you know, how well it works in today's you know juicy hazy world, or you know, yeah. Uh, and there's still a, a place for uh, you know the more bitter, dry, you know, West Coast uh, IPAs as well. And Mandarina Bavaria, you know, I, th- I think it's it's more appropriate, like you're saying, uh, you know, maybe in some lager or, uh, you know, uh, a pale ale. I don't know if it's really punchy enough to, to carry off most of the IPA desires that people have. Yeah, I don't, th- I don't think it is. I, to me, I'm kind of looking at uh, trying to come up with a hoppy lager that we can feature it in, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, um, you know, that's, that lagers are a tough sell too, so. Um, yeah. 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 Everybody asks for them and then, you know, it's just, they don't sell that much comparatively, you know, unless you, unless you can call it an IPA. Um, I'm not sure how well it'll sell. Uh, let's do this. Let's take a real quick break. If you're listening live, it's just, just, uh, merely seconds. If you're listening on podcast, enjoy the advertisers. We'll be back right after this. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're talking uh, hops with uh, my good friend Mitch Steele from New Realm Brewing. Uh, we were talking about uh, uh, what about uh, what about types types of hops. So uh, not necessarily the strains because we talked about that kind of in the last show. But yeah. what about uh, the the format of hops? You know, extracts. You mentioned um, the incog- incognito uh, mm-hmm. from Haas, the Whirlpool edition. Yeah. Uh, have you tried, you know, like, uh, uh, the, uh, oh boy, what are they called? I'm losing, I'm losing my mind here. Uh, some of the other extracts where it's, you know, mainly just lupulin powder where they do the cryo, uh, yeah, the cryo hops and, and yeah, yeah. And some of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hash and that kind of thing. Hash, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what types, uh, have really excited you? What, what's, what other stuff have you tried? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, we did, we did some playing around with, um, um, you know, with cryo hops. Uh, we haven't really pulled the trigger because I didn't think we got the bang for the buck. You know, they charge double the price for them and right. say you only need to use half as much. Well, we found out, you know, through some trials that we probably needed to, we could cut back from using the amount we'd, we'd use if we were using pellets, but it wasn't 50%. Um, and the flavor was a little bit different. So we just kind of, Kind of moved on from those. Uh, we've done some work with hop oils, um, you know, the steam distilled hop oils, and those have been a lot of fun. A- again, they're going to taste different than a pellet hop, so you know you gotta you gotta approach it carefully, and and you know you can't just make a one for one substitution. Um, you're going to get different flavors, but we've had fun with the hop oils, and we do a, a you know our own version of a triple IPA is called Radagast IPA, and we brewed it uh, three times now, and we use a we use a hop oil as well as regular type 90 pellets in the dry hop. And, um, you know, it's really nice. It, it, and the hop character sticks around from the oils for a long time. Mm. So the shelf life on it is, is great. And we've had a lot of fun with that. Um, the incognito product from, from Haas is, is really interesting. And I think they're doing mosaic and citra and sabro and maybe something else. Um, and you know, like I mentioned on the, on the first part of this, it, it, the flavor carry over into the fermenter was, was pretty impressive with mm-hmm. that product. And, you know, the whole point of these products is, is, uh, you know, when you're talking using an extract or a liquid hop or whatever is to get more beer off your, your process, right. Mm-hmm. And, and increase your yield and, and decrease your losses due to hop material soaking up all your word or your beer. And um, they do work for that, definitely. Mm-hmm. You just have to approach the, the flavor side of it uh, with, uh, with some caution because it's going to be different. Yeah, I've tried a number of those uh, hop, hop oil uh, extracts. And, um, you know, some of them, uh, 
you know, when, especially when they're steam distilled, there's such a, a, a wild difference between, you know, some versus another that, uh, you know, I, I, I taste some and I'm thinking this is just like water. I would, <laughs> I would have to throw in, you know, a uh, hundred barrels of this stuff to, to get any flavor. I, I'm always, uh, you know, it, it, it's kept me from really pulling the trigger on using any at all because I'm just yeah. concerned. Um, there's another place that was, um, I think they're out of uh, Colorado that uh, they would, you ship them your hops and then they charge you like, um, I don't know what it is like a, a thousand sixteen hundred bucks processing of um, like per pallet or whatever it was into this oil and the oil tasted fabulous yeah. but uh, they didn't have any hop contracts they didn't supply any hops they would just process your hops for you and send you the oil and okay. the oil was amazing the most you know intense and, and and clean, you know, true hop character oils I've ever come across. Hmm. Uh, but, you know, the price is pretty high and I'm not sure, you know, exactly how we use it. But, um, yeah, this is another, another odd one. But we've tried yeah. a, a number of things. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's fun. And that's, you know, that's the fun part of, of brewing, um, you know, is, is trying these things and seeing how they work. But there's a mm-hmm you know, you have a financial responsibility to the business as well. And, you know, if you're, you're spending buku dollars on, on creating a, a hop oil, um, right. you know, you're, you may not be gaining that much from doing it. Right. Yeah. Oh, everybody tells you, you're going to, you're going to gain this or gain that. And, and that's how you're, you're going to make more money off of whatever. I'm like, you know, as long as it, if the beer turns out better, I'm in. You know, yeah. but, you know, I can't, you know, save money and ruin the beer either. Uh, no, no, that's, yeah, that's never an option, at least for most brewers. <laughs> well, and what about uh, going to a different type uh, designation of hops, like 90 to 45? I mean, you know, that, um, I mean, is there a cost difference in that? Is there a, a gain in that? I, you know, again, the, the trials that we did, we, we did some trials again at Stone, you know, when I had a staff that could actually run these things mm-hmm. and we brought in a bunch of type 45 pellets and there was one supplier and I can't remember who it was, was doing some sort of modified or enhanced type 45 pellet that they wanted us to check out. And so we did some dry hop trials with those versus regular type 90, same mm-hmm. variety. And, and they were good. They were really good, but they were different. And that, that's the biggest thing is, is, you know, when we're talking an established brand, we're not going to make a wholesale change like that and change the flavor of the beer. Right. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, so many of these things that are, you know, supposed to, uh, you know, recover you more, more beer and, you know, uh, make, make your, you know, beer more profitable. Um, you know, like a centrifuge. So we have a centrifuge and we use it, but I don't think we actually net any more beer than if we didn't use it. I don't think, you know, the reason we use it is really to chase the yeast out, you know, and uh, make sure that we're not shipping something with a bunch of yeast. So it's especially handy on our, I mean, we used to be able to get brilliantly clear beer uh, with no centrifuge, no filter. We've never filtered. 
And uh, I think before we even had the centrifuge, I I swear you were here and you looked at the beer and you go like, and you don't centrifuge or filter at all. (laughs) You were kind of surprised how brilliantly clear the beer was. It's like, yeah, yeah, you know, that's how we do it. And um, so we were fine on that aspect. But when you do something like a hazy beer, it's really hard to tell what your cell count is in, in, a, in a hazy beer when you have good, you know, protein, tannin, haze. Yeah. Um, so we, we centrifuge it to just chase the yeast out so we're not sending out a yeast slug. Yeah. Um, you know, the beer's plenty hazy without it. So, um, you know, it's important in those aspects, but I still, I don't think we're recovering anything. I think we spend a bunch of time and, and money on parts and everything else and uh, we get pretty much the same amount of beer out of it. This is the idea that you can process a whole bunch of hops and yeast through it. Yeah. It doesn't work on the one we have. That, that never worked for us either. I, I, you know, when we, so when I got to stone, we were filtering everything. Right. And, um, and the filter runs could be great and, and, or they could take three days, you know, because we weren't doing any sort of biofine or anything like that. So sometimes you know, if we were processing a tank that hadn't been chilled that long, it just was a terrible filtration process. And, you know, that presents its own risks to the quality of the beer. So we, we ended up researching a centrifuge. We got a test centrifuge in and did some trials on it. And then we pulled the trigger and got a, got a nice uh, Westphalia centrifuge. And mm-hmm. we did see an increase in yield on non-dry hop beers. So beers, you know, like Stone Pale Ale and Stone Smoke Porter and, and some of those beers, we saw a pretty significant increase coming off the fermenter, but dry hop beers, we didn't see any. It's just, mm-hmm. it made them easier to filter though. Um, right. And now at New Realm, we centrifuge almost everything, but we don't, we don't filter at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're getting, we're getting clarity that I really uh, appreciate. I really like the clarity that we're getting. And, um, you know, and the, the hazies, we do the same thing you do. We're, we're trying to get the yeast out and, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're running the bowl very slow and we're running the beer very fast and, you know, trying to make sure that we don't also centrifuge out the haze particles, but uh, right. we're getting the yeast out. Yeah. Yeah. It, it took us a while to get beer that we could centrifuge and, and not strip out the haze. We, we've yeah. got our haze is, it is solid as a rock now. It, nice. And it, you know, we were talking about this last show about it's a combination of water. It's a combination of hops, the type of hops, the yeast. I mean, just so many different things. It's, it's, it's tough to actually perfect it, but uh, you know, yeah. it, it just takes, takes work like anything, you know, learning. I, re- I remember uh, the craft brewers conference a couple of years ago, I was standing with a group of kind of old school brewers, you know, like me. And, you know, somebody asked me if we were doing hazies. I said, yeah, you know, we've got a beer that tastes great. I'm struggling with getting a stable haze uh, or a consistent haze. And everybody busted out laughing because everybody was dealing with that exact same situation. Right, right. <laughs> After all these years of learning how to make crystal clear beer, right. <laughs> all of a sudden we're trying to do the opposite. It's like, okay. Yeah, it's like we have to relearn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's crazy. Uh, let's do this. Let's take a short break. It's only seconds if you're listening live. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk a bit more hops and then we're going to move on to yeast and fermentation. We'll be back right after this.
Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back with my good friend Mitch Steele from New Realm Brewing. And we're talking uh, hops. And uh, uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, uh, your thoughts on biotransformation. That's a that's a kind of a big one in everybody's uh, uh, discussion list now. Yeah, it sure is. I, I, I find the biochemistry behind all this very fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I think when we were just starting to brew hazy beers and, you know, I'll never forget when we did our first mid-fermentation dry hop and we, we do aroma tests on all of our fermenters every day um, in our sensory program and just monitoring how much juice character was forming over the next, the subsequent days of fermentation was pretty incredible. It, it, it really uh, made an impact on me and, and my understanding of this whole process. Um, you know, it's, it's something that a lot of people are studying um, and a lot of people are doing a lot of research on. And I do think it's fascinating. I, I, I know uh, there was a gentleman from Steiner that did a really great paper on biotransformation and Oregon State University's done a lot of good work on it. And, you know, nobody, there's a lot of different compounds and hops and some of them contribute more to this than others. And, you know, and, and, you know, if you start talking terpenes versus glycosides versus sulfur thiol compounds, all that kind of stuff. And I, I'm going to admit, I don't have a great handle on all that. I just know that there's a lot of things that can contribute to it. And uh, certain varieties are much better at it than others. Right, right. So, you know, when we first started making hazies, I did uh, some side-by-side tests, uh, triangle tests of beers made with uh, dry hopping during active fermentation dry hopping just at the end of fermentation, dry hopping the beginning of fermentation. And, and what, uh, what I found is most people did not like the beers that were hopped during fermentation. They okay. liked them all post-fermentation because we were starting to get this kind of uh, bitter, grassy character that was too strong from fermentation. Okay. And I, I assume that's related to over-extraction of kind of the green compounds because yeah. it's it's tumbling around and circulating in there. It's like recirculating after fermentation. You know, you can recirculate too long and really over-extract. And so I thought it was related to that. But I, I do believe in the, the uh, that biotransformation exists and happens. But my thought was, and I haven't gotten an answer from anybody really on this yet, is if if biotransformation mainly to talk about linalool and geraniol, geraniol if, yeah. if if these two compounds are the you know key to biotransformation well then why can you not add it during the whirlpool it'll survive the whirlpool for sure right yeah. you lower your temperature a little bit and, and extract it in the whirlpool leave the green material behind and then it's in the fermentation from the beginning of fermentation. If it's yeah. going to biotransform, why would that not biotransform? So just add it during the whirlpool. Isn't that, doesn't that make sense? No, it does make sense. And I, I believe that there are um, uh, a number of brewers. And in fact, I know of several in Atlanta that will um, steep their wort in the whirlpool with uh, steep hops in them mm-hmm. uh, and skip that, that, 
mid fermentation addition and, mm-hmm. and, and still get the kind of juicy thing going on. Um, I think the biggest um, challenge with that is making sure your wort's not too hot, you know, where you're right. going to volatilize those, those compounds. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so that's why, you know, a lot of brewers that we know are, are chilling their wort uh, into their whirlpool and, and bringing it in below, you know, 160 degrees or something, and then steeping it in the hot, steeping the hops in it, and then, and then knocking it out to the fermenter. And, um, you know, it's, I, I think there's some validity to that. I haven't had a chance to experience it yet because our breweries can't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, well, you know. I saw a thing also saying that, uh, you know, the temperature that those compounds will survive at is actually quite high. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Uh, you know, it must, must be possible. The only other thing I could think of is like, well, possibly, you know, uh, you know, in the new pitch, maybe it ends up coating the yeast before the yeast can really biotransform it. You know, somehow oh. it becomes bound up somewhere. But yeah. I don't think that's true because, you know, I've seen measurements of linalool and geraniol in, in worts, you know, um, throughout fermentation. And it, it doesn't seem like that's the case. I think what's happening, you know, um, so I, th- I think that's the way to go. I'm not sure. Yeah. So I, I haven't been uh, 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 hopping during fermentation at all. And um, I think, you know, one of the key things is also the yeast that you use. Some of these yeasts yeah. will are far more active in biotransformation and some aren't at all. And so I think there's a lot of different information out there. People saying, oh, this works, that, that doesn't, or it didn't work for them. You know, yeah. all of that doesn't work. I think it's still people kind of dialing in what actually works. But, yeah. you know, it goes back to what you're talking about, the incognito whirlpool edition. Um, you know, I would imagine that that, you know, could have, a, you know, huge impact on something like this. Yeah, I, I would too. It's, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing to test. And we haven't been able to test it a lot. And, and, and your comment about the yeast is, is dead on. Um, you know, we've done a, a very small scale series of hazy IPAs this year uh, called Haze Lab 2020. Um, if, and if you're old like me, you remember the old cartoon C-Lab 2020. That's what, where the name came from. But You're just so old. Right. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I, you know, one of the things that we've done there is we've brewed hazy IPAs in different ways, you know, from what we've learned from how other brewers are doing it. And mm-hmm. so we did a kind of a traditional one with Citroen Galaxy Hops added mid fermentation and London Ale 3. We did one with a Vermont Conan yeast. We did one with um, Kaiser Kolsch yeast, which really actually worked very well. Um, and then this latest one that we're doing, we're using a dry, um, dry London Ale 3, uh, mm-hmm. which is the first time we've used a dry yeast in this beer. And we're trying to see if that might work better for us. But yeah, it's, um, you know, we've definitely seen some differences with the yeast and, and its ability to biotransform. And we've kind of settled on London Ale 3 for our core AZ IPA, but we play around with other yeast strains as well. Yeah, one of the other things that we did was um, uh, I just decided to throw in a box of Cascade <laughs> in the Whirlpool. I'm just like, I don't think we're getting quite the mix of hop compounds that we want. And okay. I'm like, you know, box of Cascade. 
add, it definitely added to the, the overall fruity juiciness, you know, oh, not okay. like regular cascade, you know, it, it added this, you know, it became even more tropical. I'm like, wow. Okay. There's some, you know, there's something going on. And then, you know, there's linal, a, a fair amount of linalool and geraniol in cascade as well. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, yeah. I, I find it fascinating, you know, and I was, I, and I admit I was skeptical about the staying power of hazy IPAs. Um, and I was wrong, you know, uh, I mean, they, they're a real, real thing. And I, I've really over the past few years have come to appreciate the science that's uh, behind these beers and how it impacts the beer flavor and all the research that, that so many people are doing on this, trying to understand it better. I think it's just fascinating to me. I, I agree. I'm, uh, I, I think there's so much still to learn about, about this whole thing. And I think it's going fairly rapidly because everybody's focused on it. Yeah. Um, I just want to throw a quick shout out to my friends at Brew Chatter in Sparks, Nevada. It's right next to Reno. If you're ever in the, out in the area, it's a great shop. They actually have a little bar in there, and you can you can try uh, you know a number of beers, and they got commercial beers. They'll have Heretic on every so often there, uh, and uh, a lot of fun to visit. Great supply shop. You know, fresh ingredients, wide range of ingredients. They even sell over the, the internet if you want to check them out, brewchatter.com. Uh, Jonathan was asking, have you guys used Berkeley Brewing Science Yeast? I'm guessing uh, that is the uh, GMO yeast. Uh, I have not used that, that yeast. Right. I'm actually not familiar with it. Um, so uh, actually, uh, one of our brewers now is the brewer over there. And, um, one day he brought in a bunch of samples of beers and what they're doing is they are, uh, modifying the yeast to produce certain flavors. So they'll insert a, you know, gene for blackberry flavor. Really? <laughs> so it'll, it'll convert, you know, whatever wort into, it'll have this intense blackberry flavor. It was amazing wow. to me. I'm like, you know, with no, they're not adding any fruit or anything. They're just taking the same basic beer and it'll have this huge flavor. They had other ones that produced like the flavor of uh, Cascade hops. They had that one there. And I'm just like, that's cool, but why wouldn't I just throw in Cascade hops? Um, <laughs> they had others that um, would produce like a really clean lager, wouldn't produce any diacetyl. And, you know, the VDKs were like, non-existent mm -hmm. um they had uh what else did they have um they had what was it um i don't know the number of number of cool things that and i was, was particularly blown away oh maybe it was raspberry that was it okay yeah, just intense raspberry flavor and we're, we make a raspberry um seltzer and i'm like man i could really cut back all my raspberry purchases uh, with this yeast <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the the thing about GMO yeast, I'm concerned. There's people using it, and yeah. I, you know, if I was still home brewing, I'd be all over it. I'd want to try them all. You yeah. know, I'd I'd be totally into it. But commercially, it's like, well, if you do use it, you got to make absolutely certain you are communicating to your 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 drinkers, to your consumers that that is what you used even if you know there's not a single cell left in the beer 
people are really touchy about that subject. Yeah, they are. So, I mean, uh, yeah, that's, that's the biggest risk, right? You know, how, how is that going to impact the people that are drinking your beer and their opinion? Um, right. You know, because yeah, you're right. I mean, certain people are very, very touchy about things like GMOs, even though, mm -hmm. you know, you know, all the corn and grown in the United States is GMO. Right. But yeah. uh, um, you know, it's, it, it, and I get it, you know, I mean, you know, if you don't have all the science to back it up and, you know, you can debate whether people actually pay attention to science or not. But mm -hmm. I mean, if, if you don't even have access to the science behind it and what, what's happening and you, you get a little nervous about it. Right. And I understand. Right. That. Yeah. Yeah. I, the, I think that the potential for that, that product for those genetically modified yeast um, really is, you know, huge. I think that there's, you know, a possibility of if you want a, oh, they, I think they also had a, like a tropical fruity one. If you okay. want, you know, a hazy, juicy beer, well, they can, they can crank it out. And I think there's going to be resistance to it from the brewers just because we like doing things the way that we've learned and, you know, kind of the old, old way of doing it. But on the other hand, um, yeah, we like cool and new stuff and playing with stuff, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I think, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a, a, a while before people accept genetically modified yeast fermenting something. I mean, people are worried about, you know, uh, anything gen genetically modified. So that's, that's the reason we haven't used it here. Um, uh, but I've tasted the beers from it. And I know, I know those folks, uh, good folks, and I'm sure they're, they're going to do the right thing. And, um, you know, I, I, again, if I was a home brewer, heck yeah, I'd be, I'd be trying that <laughs> left yeah. and right. I'd, I'd get a blast out of that. That'd be really cool. You could make something that attenuates everything down to, you know, pretty much nothing, uh, produces all sorts of different flavors. I'm sure it, it could do colors and, and everything else. No well, we've done um, we've we've done some work with the with the um, uh, Lalaman Sour VCA, which mm -hmm. is they claim it's not GMO, but it's bioengineered and and it produces lactic acid during fermentation. And we've used that as an alternative to kettle souring, and mm -hmm. it works. It works really uh -huh. well. Yeah, interesting. I haven't, I haven't tried it. Yeah, it, I recommend giving it a shot and checking it out. It's uh, it produces a very clean sour. It's a little more intense than what we were getting off our kettle sours, but mm -hmm. um, you know, a little little blending helped with that. But it, it worked really well. Hmm. Um, yeah. What kind of pH do you get down to? Oh, three, three. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that range. And so it's just uh, you just pitch it like a normal ferment, and you don't yeah. have to wait the the twenty four hours for a kettle sour. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a good tip. I got <laughs> that one to try. There's always something new coming on. That's yeah. It's kind of cool. Number. You know, if you work at a brewery where you have the opportunity to try some of this stuff, it's always makes the job pretty re rewarding, you know? All right. Got to make myself a note. Um, now, uh, what about, uh, uh, your preference for the hazy juicy you were saying london three is your current uh, hazy juicy strain yeah 
Yeah, that was the one that was most consistent and also settled out after the fermentation the best. So that's mm -hmm. uh, what we've what we've stuck with. Yeah, we're seeing different things. We tried a bunch of different yeasts, and you know, one of the things that has struck me is uh, the the ones that are the best at producing kind of the fruity flavors and the best haze are the ones that are not as attenuative as others. It seems like you're getting a lower attenuation on some of these. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen that too. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, yeah. It's, it's interesting, you know, because you know, these, some of these English strains aren't, aren't very attenuative and, and right. Um, you know, it just is, is part of the equation, you know, to figure out that uh, uh, we make a 14% uh, hazy beer called the uh, fourth of juicy. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and that is a chore to get to get to 14%. Um, so we'll, we'll start with a hazy yeast and then, uh, and then we'll add um, some OO one as well. And then okay. it's, it's a, it's a, cat and mouse game of dosing exactly with the right uh, sugar and the right nutrients to get yourself up to 14. Yeah. That's, that's tough duty. <laughs> wow. Yeah. We're, we're having fun with that. I, I, we got, uh, uh, Oh, one to go to 16 and a half percent. Really? Yeah. Impressive. Yeah. Wow. We call that one am, amnesia juice. <laughs> great name <laughs> oh i remember back in the day um uh rip current brewing down in southern california did a, a quadruple ipa and it was like 16 percent mm -hmm. and i i was talking with paul sangster about it um uh, who runs the brewing there. And he goes, yeah, it was really fun and really challenging and we're never going to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll have to send you, uh, I've got some spreadsheets on, on um, the solubility of uh, dextrose that we worked out. Oh, so really? temperatures and solubility and the volume change and how it changes your ABV, your potential ABV. Really? Because the problem for most people is uh, you can't add a high enough concentration sugar. I mean, you could add the sugar by itself, right? But mm -hmm. none of us wants to add dry dextrose into our beers because it's full of bacteria. Yeah. So what we want to do is pasteurize it in water. But if you add water to your beer, you're going to have trouble getting your gravity up to yeah. uh, increase your ABV. Mm -hmm. And so um, we worked out, uh, we did some lab work and worked out uh, essentially a, a spreadsheet that will give us the, uh, the numbers for um, getting whatever ABV <laughs> you want. It'll tell you the temperature change in your beer, a bunch of stuff. I'll have to send it to you. You'll, I think you'll get a kick out of it. Yeah. When we do our collab, we can go, let's, let's do a 20 percenter. You know, come on. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> you only have to sell 20 barrels. It's fine. Yeah. Tyler would love that. <laughs> he's our, he's our head brewer in Atlanta. He's a good, good brewer. He, he likes doing stuff like that. Cool. All right. Uh, what's your yeast preference on uh, lagers? 
Um, you know, when we when we started up, we we were trialing thirty four seventy, which is the Weinstefan yeast, mm-hmm. and um, and then we were um, also looking at the Augustiner strain. Uh, we wanted a, a pretty authentic German lager yeast, and and we ended up settling on thirty four seventy, mostly because it didn't throw as much sulfur as the Augustiner strain. Right. Uh, did uh, we've been doing some some beers with a Mexican lager yeast, and we like those for something that's not supposed to be you know German mm-hmm. style lager. Um, uh, but yeah, those are those are the ones that we've kind of used. Uh, it's Stone. We used the high pressure lager yeast for a little while, and and that was kind of a a nice thing to be able to ferment a lager at a warmer temperature and get it through the brewery. Uh, mm-hmm. a little quicker, but, um, you know, I think, you know, we wanted, definitely wanted to go more, more traditional, uh, with our mm-hmm. beers at new realm when we started, started up, you know, with a, we've got a nice German Pilsner that we do. And, um, you know, we wanted to use German yeast in it. I think it's, it's critical to an authentic, you know, German lager just to use a German yeast. How did you feel the high pressure lager yeast work? Did you feel it was a, a good authentic lager or did you feel it was you know uh, the the ones i've tasted it's just like well yeah it tastes lagerish <laughs> yeah know? i mean it was it was clean it didn't have the the ester character that an ale yeast would have would have provided mm-hmm. uh but it wasn't particularly lagerish to me mm-hmm. it was just kind of clean right um, you know which was okay you know but that wasn't what we wanted to do with the beers we were brewing at new realm right yeah i want to make a beer here that I, I can tell people this is what it, you know uh, a Munich Hellas tastes like in mm. Germany. If you're in Munich, this is what it tastes like. Yeah, you know, I always I always want to you know get to that point, um, especially you know when we're doing so many other things. Um, I think it's the one thing you can't really go out and be weirdly creative with. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I agree. I mean, if you're setting out to brew a traditional style just brew the traditional style, mm-hmm. um, you know, and uh, uh, don't get too crazy with it. Now, it, you know, that being said, I've had a, a, a lot of Pilsners recently that were, uh, had low level dry hops of American hops and I thought they were just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, you know, they moved away, the brewers moved away from the noble hop uh, profile, but it made for a very nice beer. And, right. you know, so there, there are limits, you know, but there are things you can do within, within those limits to really separate yourself out and do something pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Now, what about uh, Belgians? Do you do much Belgians there? Not a lot. We do a few. We do a, a, a triple every year uh, that we've really dialed in a nice recipe for that. And most of that goes into barrels. Um, you know, I was a big fan of, of Curio when that first came out from Allagash and, uh, always loved the idea of after I tasted that beer of aging triple in bourbon or Jack Daniels barrels or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so we brew one, we brew a batch every year and throw it into wood. Um, we've first year we were open, we released it and it did pretty well. We did a, a kind of a wit beer uh, this past summer that went into a variety pack that that came out pretty nice. It was, it, it had passion fruit and tangerine added to it. So it was, a bit of a departure from a standard wit, but it had a lot of wit character to it. So, and I haven't brewed a lot of wit beer, so I was pretty happy with the end result. Um, hmm. Yeah. But uh, you know, it's uh, yeah, those, those have been fun. 
Now, what yeast are you using for your West Coast beers? We're using uh, Cal Ale yeast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, it, we it's hard to beat. use that at Stone. And, you know, I, as after years of entering Great American Beer Festival and World Beer Cups and seeing all these brewers that were using Cal Ale yeast win in the IPA categories, I just made the call. I said, we're going to use Cal Ale yeast in our IPAs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of a become the, the de facto. I know people like to try and use something else, but there's just something, you know, good and reliable and, and, and yep. great flavor and great balance yeah. to it. So. Yeah. It's definitely a proven yeast strain and it, it works really well. It, it didn't work in our hazy. The first time we tried a hazy, we, we fermented it with Cal Ale yeast and it didn't work, but uh, right. and that's what kind of prompted us to start trying some of these other yeast strains that people were recommending. But, you know, I love the yeast. I love Cal Ale yeast for, for just about every ale that we brew. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and uh, finally, uh, let's see here. Did I take my final break? Did I take three yet? I don't think I did. All right. So one last real quick break, and then we'll be back right after this. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back. And uh, one, one last thing we wanted to talk about here. Kavekis. Uh, mm-hmm. What have you done with Kavekis so far? Oh, we've done, we've done a lot, actually. We, we jumped on that one pretty quickly to try and figure out what was going on with it. But we've, we pretty much focused on brewing hoppy styles with that, um, mm-hmm. you know, because it's a nice... A uh, nice way to get a hazy beer without having to jump through all the hoops that you have to do to make a hazy IPA. Um, and you get a lot of tropical fruit from the yeast. And, and Tyler, our head brewer in Atlanta, has really done a lot of work with uh, with a couple of different strains. Uh, we've used the Voss strain and we've used the Harnendal strain and kind of settled on Harnendal for hoppy beers. And, um, and, and we don't let it go up you know, to 95, 98 degrees. We, we cap it at about 85 because we were, our feeling was that we were losing some hop character when it got that hot, that maybe it was volatilizing off or, or doing something, but we were getting better hop character with a slightly lower fermentation temperature than what people, you know, say to do with that yeast. But it's been pretty good. I, you know, we did a beer um, just recently uh, called T-Flex Double IPA um, that was fermented with, with, uh, Harnendal. And it's got a, it's a nice hazy beer with great tropical fruit flavors. Uh, we used Australian hops and, and the Harnendal yeast, which throws a lot of pineapple. And so we got a really nice, nice fruity character on the beer. We've, we've, uh, been brewing, um, kind of a wheat ale with the Voss yeast that, uh, uh, originally was fermented with a different yeast. And then when we, we tried it with the boss yeast, we liked it better. And the original name of it was unexpected turbulence. And after we started using the boss yeast in it, we started calling it expected turbulence. Um, and that was, that was a regular for about a year in our pub, um, but it never really got a stronghold. And we've done some, some similar beers to that for special releases. You know, we did a charity beer for, um, uh, uh, a guy who started a, a program called Bottle Share in Atlanta, 
uh, and we did a beer with, with um, I think it was Harnendal on that one, but it was, you know, like a four and a half percent pale ale that was hazy and really fruity and, and went over really well. Randy was saying uh, he just drank T-Flex last night. He says, fantastic beer. Rivals Treehouse beers. Really? Well, that's quite a compliment. It's Randy. Thank you. Uh, Randy's not your son, is he? Uh, no. <laughs> your father? <laughs> no. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, Those are usually the two people that compliment my beers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, yeah. One of the things that I'm not sure of is people saying that uh, the um, uh, Quebec yeast, uh, some of the strains will ferment over a hundred degrees up to somebody. I saw somebody say, Oh, they fermented at 109. Really? And I, I just, I, I could be completely wrong and maybe, but my suspicion is that it didn't really ferment at 109. I think a wort temperature of 109, the yeast would shut down because most yeast really won't get up past the mid nineties. They'll just shut down yeah. and stop fermenting. I imagine if the room temperature gets to 109, you know, perhaps, you know, and the wort is at 90, it's raging away and it's done before the whole thing gets 109. <laughs> that I see. But yeah. have you tried anything that hot? I, no. When, when we have lab time, I'm going to have them test out. I'm having them grow up uh, uh, tasty, uh, dropped off like um, five different strains from uh that he collected in norway or somebody in norway gave him okay and uh, so we're gonna regrow those again and um i'm gonna test to see if any of them will actually ferment at 109 degrees because interesting even over 100 because i i think yeah, i don't know i'm just i'm kind of questioning yeah. it but i'd like yeah. to i'd like to find out yeah it'd be very interesting i i think i kind of am aligned with you on this one. I, it, that scares me. I just can't, can't see it right. really working, but you know, we could be wrong. Well, and I imagine, you know, they could, uh, you know, Berkeley uh, brewing science could GMO <laughs> yeast work <laughs> at 130. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, it, it, it starts getting a little too hot for them. I think that they shut down, but I, I'd be curious to find out not, and I'd be curious to find out how that affects their their flavor. People are like, "Oh, perfectly clean," and you know, yeah, clean ale yeast. I'm like, at seventy, it's not a clean ale yeast, right? I, you know, our our experience, and this is what Tyler did a lot of work on, was, you know, when we fermented at the recommended above ninety degree Fahrenheit, the yeast started getting a little saisonish, which uh -huh. is cool. But we were trying to brew a hoppy hazy beer right, with it right. and so that's that's what prompted us to kind of drop the temperature and see how that worked a little you know if it worked better for us yeah because you know none of them are uh you know as clean as say you know an 001 yeah uh, yeah not even close i mean they, yeah. they throw a lot of fruit and a lot of character mm -hmm. yeah and some of them I, I think are closer to like a hefeweizen strain a, you know a, a traditional german hefeweizen strain or saison or you know, yeah, but uh, you know, interesting yeast, a lot of fun. They think about character. I think that's an important, important aspect of it. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. You know, I just love that kind of stuff and trying it and figuring out what works for our beers. And mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, if we could, if we could find a larger audience for some of these things, I'd be very happy. But, uh, you know, in the meantime, we'll brew a 20 barrel batch and serve it in our restaurants and get some feedback and right. well, see what works for us, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Mitch, for uh, spending the, the last two hours together. And uh, it's really good to see you. And uh, I hope to see you in person uh, as soon as this pandemic thing is, is over. <laughs> we'll uh, yeah, that, me too. Um, yeah, thank you for having me. It's, it's, it's always great to talk to you. And, and this was a ton of fun. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks to our great sponsors, uh, especially Blickman Engineering. Uh, you know, they've been sponsoring this show for... Uh, coming up on a decade and a half. So <laughs> make sure you check out their website, BlickmanEngineering.com. And if you got a chance, uh, drag yourself over to Brew Chatter and, and uh, say hello to those folks in Sparks. Wonderful folks. And they've uh, come on as new sponsors. Until then, everybody, brew strong. <laughs>